0: It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma.
1: Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and I am just thrilled today to have Amanda Waldron with me. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. And I just have to tell you, since the first time we talked, I've been so excited for this conversation. So thank you for being here.
0: Oh, awesome. I'm so excited to be
1: here. Let me tell you a little bit about Amanda. Amanda is a faith deconstruction and reconstruction mentor at heyamandawaldron.com. You can find her at the intersection of mental health, social work, and theology. She hopes to come alongside thoughtful Christians and communities who are wrestling through big doubts and questions, but hope to stay within the Christian faith, find a little more ease and wonder in the process. Her goal is to help people ask different questions and widen the lens of of what can be possible in their Christian faith. You can also connect with her on Instagram at hey Amanda Waldron. So there's a little bit about you. Tell us something
0: that wasn't in the bio. Oh, man. Um, well, my COVID project for this uh, at the start of COVID was fostering kittens, which has brought a lot of joy to my life. So it's fun. Some of this heavier work that I do. Yeah. How many kittens do you have at once? Um, I think the most I've had is six. Wow. So it's fun, challenging, but yeah, after a long day, you can just go into the kitten room and get some snuggles. Oh,
1: that's fun. That's fun. So you are a counselor by day. Yes. And what kind of counseling do you do?
0: Yeah. So at the beginning of 2020, I thought this will be a good chance for me to go off on my own and start my own practice right before everything <laughs> shut down. Um, so <laughs> I work a lot um, with individuals kind of struggling through anxiety, relationships, uh, distressing life events, shame, perfectionism, self-esteem.
1: Well, you just checked on my boxes. Maybe yeah. you should be my therapist. <laughs> Well, um, you know, we're going to do this interview a little bit differently than, um, than I normally do because we have a lot in common, um, Amanda and I, and I just thought it would be helpful and interesting for her to ask me some questions and me to ask her some questions. So we're just going to kind of ping pong back and forth and see where the conversation leads us. But, um, I just wanted to know from you kind of what deconstructing faith is.
0: Yeah, I kind of, it it can be defined a lot of different ways, but I kind of see it as taking these assumed beliefs. A lot of times what we're taught from an early age or when we first come to faith and assume that this is right or hundred percent, right. It's kind of looking at these beliefs. Being like, okay, how was I taught this? Is there anything that needs to shift or change or be left behind Mm -hmm. so that my faith has a little bit more congruent with maybe who God is versus what I was taught about who God is or who I am.
1: Right. You know, I've often told people that as a young pastor, um, I went to a Jesuit university, I had mm. been with a conservative charismatic university, and then I went to a Jesuit university, and I had all these questions. And I remember telling one of my co workers, I was working at a church at that time, planting a church. And I told one of my co workers, I said, I have all these questions. And he said, Well, if you have all these questions, you should quit. And oh. I was like, Whoa! <laughs> I was like, shouldn't I find the answers? I mean, <laughs> that was the first time I remember going, wait a minute, I think we look at this a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. But
1: so what was your what was your dive in point? How did you how did you come to deconstructing kind of your own faith and then following it as a potential career path?
0: Yeah. So I think I was always inquisitive. I always wanted to know the why behind what what we believed, why we did certain things. And luckily, I grew up in a household that was okay with that. Um, And so I knew that there were some differences between denominations. um, But really, when I got to my mid-20s and I was thinking about doing some long-term mission work, um, I had been at a huge mega church in the city that I live in and was just moving out of that. And so I needed a sending church. And so I thought I would go back and ask the church that I grew up in, um, which my family has deep roots in.
1: Six generations, Sixth I hear. Six
0: generations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, So a lot of history in this church. And I was like, they can be my sending church. They know me and my family. Um, but there was a sticking point on the theology of baptism between the church that I grew up in and the sending organization and the church that I grew up in um, made the call that they didn't feel comfortable sending me because of this discrepancy in, in theology. And I oh, was wow. like, wait a minute, how can we both, how can these both be Christian institutions, but have different beliefs on this? This doesn't make sense. And so right. Then my black and white thinking kicked in and I was like, well, there's got to be one right way to believe and I'm going to find that right way. And that's what I'm going to believe. And so I just sent me into the spiral of theology, like terms that I'd never heard of before. And I was like, nobody agrees on anything. How can this be true? Um, So that, that was kind of the catalyst. Interesting.
1: Interesting. Well, um, I uh then you went to seminary.
0: I, well, I only took three, I took three systematic uh theology classes because I, I I started counseling at this time too and realized how black and white my thinking was, um, how much anxiety was kind of present in my life. And so seminary was kind of coupled with counseling of like, I need to figure out what like what is faith. And luckily I, I had a really good seminary teacher who was basically like in the course of church history these are all the different ways that people have believed and it can be on this spectrum and that can be okay and so I think that really gave me permission to be like oh what do I actually believe not what have I always been taught or yeah so freeing so freeing so I'll turn it over to you now yeah so you have your own deconstruction story um, I do curious, how do you define deconstruction? And then maybe what was that catalyst for you?
1: You know, I define deconstruction as as taking a hard look at your belief system and your theology. And like you said, deciding what is essential and what needs to stay and what mm-hmm. needs to be left behind. And I think there, for me, there's an element in there that says there are some things that are not just, we need to leave them behind, but they're inherently toxic and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I think breaking that pattern or trying to figure out how to break that pattern is de- deconstruction. I wish, I wish all of us that deal with this would come up with one succinct definition,
0: <laughs> but we seem don't to be one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there doesn't. So, so yeah. So my, my big journey into deconstruction, you know, I've been a pastor for 30 years and I feel like, um, I feel like I've been in this space where not only do I need to have the answers, if I don't have the answers, I need to be able to tell people where to find the answers. And so I have been in this, um, I have been in this uh, place where I'm expected to know that you're supposed to be
0: the authority then, uh, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And always not, not feeling like the authority all the time, but Mm -hmm. I was good at saying, let me find the question. Let me find the answers for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the last church that we started, um, I, you know, I just told people, I said, you know what, you can hit the bullshit button if you want to, if this doesn't make sense to you, then just raise a flag. And every once in a while, I kid you not every once in a while. While well, somebody would be in the congregation and go bullshit. I'm like, okay, oh. let's talk about it, <laughs> uh-huh. you know. Um, but but yeah, my my real um real delving into this happened almost exactly six years ago now. Mm. And um I had a mental breakdown and it was it was catastrophic. It was totally um totally une- not unexpected because I had been I had been um, ramping up to this because my stress level was so high. My marriage was a mess. I was drinking a lot, trying to sleep. Mm -hmm. I was barely remembering conversations. I couldn't remember people's names. So a lot was happening. My stress level was raising, but I ended up, um, I ended up in a mental institution for 12 weeks and um, while they tried to figure out, you know, what. What the hell was wrong with me mm-hmm. and came out with um, a set of diagnoses, which was, you know, depression and anxiety and a dissociative disorder and all of these things. But it also meant that I was kind of agoraphobic, and so I couldn't go out of the house, which means I couldn't pastor the church, which Mm. means the church shut down. Mm -hmm. And one of my initial questions was, in the economy of God, how is my life and health more important than the spiritual life and health of all of these people that are a part of the church? That didn't make sense to me. That didn't Mm -hmm. seem fair, and it didn't seem right. And so I think not 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 um, not having a place to go every Sunday that was giving me prescriptive answers this is yeah. why this happened this is what's uh, going to happen mm-hmm. next all of a sudden I was just left kind of bereft and kind of, Lost. So I just, um, for the past six years, have only gone to church a handful of times. Initially, it was because of stress, um, not being able to handle all the noise and the people interaction mm, and the stress. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of became this thing of, I got to find some place that fits me and I don't know how to do that.
0: Yeah. And I think that piece of grief that comes with that, too, right? The of grief of deconstructing. Of losing some of that familiarity or ritual around our spirituality.
1: Right. And feeling kind of guilty about that, you know, feeling feeling like I was doing it wrong because it wasn't that I was raised in a denomination where questions weren't welcomed. It was just that for every question, there was a prescriptive answer. And then I went to a denomination where that wasn't the case. And Mm -hmm. I felt freedom then to ask questions and wrestle with my theology. and, And that was a gift. So that was where I was at when everything kind of fell apart. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's how I started reading and reading about deconstruction and, and talking about it and trying to figure out my own faith and what I believed. Mm
0: -hmm. And so what were some of the things that you noticed? So in your, your definition, like those leaving behind of things, what, Mm -hmm. what got left behind?
1: What got left behind? I think, The idea that, um, one, we need to have an answer for every question because we just don't Mm -hmm. some and, and the idea that, um, there are different forms of baptism and that's okay. Mm -hmm. There are different ways of reading the scripture And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It was like a widening of, um, of the system of beliefs to say, okay, you know, one of the things that, I was raised under was that divorced people in the church weren't ever allowed to serve. Ah. Um, And so my mother being a divorced woman was never allowed to um, do anything of consequence within the church because she was divorced and we can leave, we can leave that behind. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I remember I remember a pastor standing up one time and saying, um, my father beat us until the flesh was ripped off of our skin. Mm. He was, you know, he was a horrible, horrible person, beat my mother, but God promised my mother that if she would stay with him, that um, we would all become pastors. And I remember thinking, that's not God.
0: Right. <laughs> that that's is problematic
1: because, because as a child of abuse who had dealt with that kind of abuse who was currently dealing with that kind of abuse i i just knew that that wasn't okay but yeah. that sense of authority that says i mean my my mother threatened to kill me and she said mm. you know I am your God-given authority and um, I can do anything I want to to you to get you to comply, including kill you. And that was her, not in anger, not in a moment of emotional rage, but that was her messaging, her messaging. So, you know, there's a lot of that, that I needed to, that I needed to leave behind.
0: Yeah. All of these concepts of who we've been taught that God is that may like are not accurate, right? right. So, like God is not going to say, stay in this abusive relationship <laughs> because I right. want you to like, cause I'm going to teach you something through this. Right. Um, um,
1: I just, um, I just had trouble with um, figuring out why people would um, impose that on on, on others that the way we wield, um, wield scripture against one another is, is so dangerous sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. If we're taking that, that component to keep somebody down, I think we need, I need, think we need to examine that. Like, where does that come from? Right. uh, how have other people interpreted those verses? Who benefits from us believing this or who doesn't benefit from us believing right.
1: this? And, you know, have you read Brian McLaren's um uh book
0: Faith After Doubt. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I actually recommended that to somebody today. Yeah.
1: So, you know, Brian McLaren talks about the different stages that we go through as we mm-hmm. grow. Um, and talking about, you know, stage one being real exact, everything's in a box. This is we know all the answers. Here's yeah. the answers, live by it. You're either in or you're out. And then he talks about stage two, where it's like we can ask some questions, but we're still going to stay within the box it's just a larger box. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about stage 3 where you're like there really isn't a box and we really <laughs> can't ask questions and that's o- and that's okay and there's there's not a lot of real finite answers. Yeah. And that's where you're just where
0: kind I'm, of flo- floating yeah. out there, right?
1: <laughs> right and you know he says things like, you know, those are the people who resist authority and who don't like organization and who don't like and I'm thinking I think I'm there. <laughs> I think I'm there and I but I'm trying really hard not to be Amanda because I feel like I'm supposed to be in church that I'm supposed mm. to I'm supposed to be the Christian that I thought I was. So I it have shoulds. guilt
0: about that. Yeah. Yeah, shoulds and expectations, right? Like guilt pops up when we feel like our value <laughs> and our behavior aren't matching up or what we think we should value and our behavior aren't matching up.
1: Yeah. So what got left behind for you when you began the deconstruction process? Oh man.
0: So I had a, I had a big deconstruction and then I feel like I've just been having little deconstructions ever since then. (laughs) So what got left behind Um, the ability of women, like, or I guess maybe that's not what got behind, like, Barriers on women and how they can show up in the church, like oh, huge. I think everyone, everyone huge. should be free to use their gifts for the kingdom, and there should not be any blocking of that. Um, if if you haven't read um, the Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr yet, I highly recommend it. She's a historian and goes into all these contexts um, historically about how we've gotten to this point okay. of what we think about women in the church fantastic book. Um, That got left behind. I think, yeah, holding, (laughs) holding baptism, or like the process of salvation a little bit looser of like, oh, I don't need to be the one that's like, this is exactly how this works out. Right. Um, I think what else got, I mean, Patriarchy, nationalism, <laughs> um, white you supremacy.
1: Know, I remember. I remember being in um, a spiritual formation class in um, Bible college, and everybody had to write their testimony, and their testimony had to be: "This is the moment when God came into my life." And I heard an analogy one time and somebody said, you know, there's light bulb Christians, there's light switch Christians and there's dimmer switch Christians. And there are those who all of a sudden the lights on, they figure it out. They know it. They know God's Mm -hmm. there. And then there are some who are dimmer switch Christians that the light gradually grows and you don't know exactly when it became light, but it was there. Mm
0: -hmm. and how I
1: was raised. Yeah. Isn't that a great analogy? Mm -hmm. The way I was raised is it was, you're a light switcher. You're not, it's either on or you're off. You have that moment or you don't, you know?
0: Yeah. But I do, I mean, I, I have come to really appreciate the idea of sanctification or growing in spiritual formation that it's not Hey, I've arrived. <laughs> it's that as long as I'm participating in this faith, I'm going to be growing and changing and having new realizations of what this means, or different encounters with God or the Spirit.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so, you're a faith
1: um, deconstruction coach or mentor. What do you do in that process? How do you how do you start that process?
0: Yeah, so I can't tell anyone what to believe um so it's less theology and more of examining like where where have you been like what has gotten you to this point because most of the time by the time people find me they've either had their deconstruction conversion moment or they've been having doubts and questions or maybe on the edge of that so really what we look at is like okay how did you get here what kind of prompted these doubts and questions um What do you still believe in? What may need to get left behind? And then how do we proceed in maybe holding this a different way? So I bring in a a couple of the techniques I might use with therapy clients around like our mindset, um, should statements, how shame fits in there and keeps Mm -hmm. us maybe in these patterns of believing. Um, And then how do we create maybe a little bit more wonder or... (laughs) Flexibility in our beliefs to hold that a little bit lighter, so that we don't feel like the anxiety and depression um, yeah. and crisis moment that can come with this. That Wait, we can think, get through this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you think that a crisis of faith is often synonymous with a crisis of emotion or mental health?
0: Yeah, Do they go together. Yes, I would say. A, I I know my experience holds that. Right. So, like. Mm-hmm. After I got this notification from the church that I grew up in and started going down this deconstruction spiral, I felt like there were two months where I was crying most days because of this loss of certainty of like, what do I even believe? Can I even be a Christian anymore? And so really kind of sent me in this this depression spiral too. And I would say people that I've worked with or talked to have similar, and maybe it's, it's, similar to the, the light switch example where sometimes it's, is that breaking like moment of crisis right. or it's that slow simmer that at some time it's like, Kinda yeah, yep. Yeah, I, cause there was a point in time where after two months of crying for most days, I was like, I can't, I can't think about this anymore. And so I had a period of time where I wasn't, wasn't engaging with deconstruction. I was like, I'm going to put that on the back burner. But then a couple months later, I'm like, oh, it, it didn't go away. It's still back there. And now it's overflowing. (laughs) And now I have to deal with it.
1: (laughs) How do you think um, Christians, other Christians and organizations cannot see, I'm not forming this question well, but cannot see deconstruction as the devil. Um, it's kind uh, of, it's kind of a cuss word in the church. It feels like, yeah. how, how do we change that perception? Because in my experience, deconstruction is faithful people trying to find good theology and trying to find a church that is as authentic as they believe Jesus is. That's, that's who I hear from. How can we just, how can we change that perception
0: in the church? Yeah. I, and I think that comes like, that comes out of a place of fear, right? That maybe if you're a pastor and you're supposed to have all the answers. um, So maybe it's touching on something within you of that fear of like, I'm not going to have the answers and this person's going to go to hell or um, that this person's going to deconstruct in the heresy. So I think there, it comes from this legitimate place of fear. Mm, and that's so a good point. um, I think that's why we're getting these strong reactions. And so I think my experience has been your experience that most of the time, the people I'm meeting are like genuinely care about their faith and mm-hmm. want it to be more in line with what they've, they know Jesus to be, or what like How do we combine our faith and lived experience of like, this is what I was taught about the world, but now I've had this lived experience that doesn't match up. And so I really think it is being able to hold, (laughs) hold tension. Mm -hmm. Um, There's never been anyone that has gotten faith, right? A hundred percent, except maybe Jesus, Um, but us as humans everyone is trying to do the best that they can to come to this faith that makes sense, that is aligned with what we read and who we believe Jesus to be. Um, but none of us are doing it at hundred percent. Right. And so I think right. having the ability to hold that tension between wanting to have right beliefs and recognizing that we may not yeah. um, that flexibility or nuance. Well, I think it, um If you have somebody as
1: a minister, if I have somebody walk in my office and go, I don't know about this stuff, I don't know if I believe it, I don't know, and I'm just like, let's walk through that, let's Mm -hmm. figure that out, that isn't the posture of most pastors, because there's this need for conversion. There's this, mm-hmm. we need to convert this person to put them in this box. Um, there's a theology concept that's called um, center weighted um, theology. And, you know, regular theology says it's offense. You're either inside or you're outside. There's no ah, in between. Mm-hmm. And then there's center-weighted theology that says, here's the things mm-hmm. that we hold dear, and you may be further away from them or closer to them, but here's what we believe. And, and if you're far away, you're probably out of sight. It's like having a bunch of cars on the freeway and trying to follow one. At some point, mm-hmm. you're out of mm-hmm. sight of what this is. And so you've kind of self-selected out of that out of that. You know, that group. But that makes sense to me because there are some things, um, some theological truths that, you know, I absolutely believe in baptism. Am I committed that it's got to be immersion? No. Mm-hmm. Do I believe it's the presence of water? Yes. You know, I mean, talking yeah. about those kinds of things, um, to me, we, we can talk about that. It's okay. Do I believe in the gifts of the spirit? Yes, I believe in the gifts of the spirit. Do I believe in the gifts of tongues all the time? No, I don't believe in that all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's being able to say those things out loud and, and wrestle with it. I think that we have to give one another permission to do and space to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Could this be possible? Yeah. Do I hope that this is right? Absolutely. (laughs) But I don't know 100% for sure. And no, like nobody does. Right, Um, Right. I think, again, like you said, that most people asking these questions truly want to like be aligned with with Jesus.
1: Right. And that message right there, just, you said it so succinctly that message message is what I want people to hear. And what I wish that people would hear about deconstruction is that these are people who are faithful, who want to be aligned with Jesus.
0: Yeah. Right. And there's yeah, all types of messages out there around like, oh, these people were never really Christians or didn't have that conversion experience, but no, my experience has been Yeah. People really want, care about their faith and want a better understanding um, of what they believe and why they believe it. And I think, right. So like that, when, when you internalize your own belief, that's when your faith is going to be stronger. Not when someone's giving you, giving you, giving you what to believe, right. There has to come a point where you're like, yeah, I believe this for myself because Mm I choose to assent to this.
1: (laughs) Well this is my platform to kind of allow people to express how faith has interacted in their life and how how they have um grown and developed through crisis and trauma and um and how their faith has been affected by that. What do you hope your platform, your um your business or what do you hope to do with with what you have, the gifts you have?
0: Yeah, I really Kind of created the resources I wish were available 10 years ago when I went through my big deconstruction that I want people to know you can stay within the Christian faith with these questions. You don't have to tumble out or you don't have to choose to leave. Um, But there is this other option. um, And I want to help people kind of find ease with how do you do that? Um, Yeah. And what may be the steps that you take in your faith journey in this season. So maybe it does look like I can't be in church in this season. Okay. That's okay. What, like, how can we connect you to other faith actions um, Mm. or spiritual actions? So just, yeah, yeah, I think just that permission of like, this can look a little bit different. It's okay. Let this be, (laughs) let this place where you can just kind of be in this season.
1: Yes. Are you writing?
0: Uh, no, I mean, I'm writing more with this than I had intended to. So I've got like an email list. I'm writing things like that, but I would so much rather give a presentation than write anything.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a writer and a speaker and I, I agree for me, for me, speaking is so much more natural and I can get it done and it's done and move on to the next thing. But writing (laughs) Mm -hmm. is like, writing and then editing and then re-editing. And then <laughs> to, it's a little bit more tedious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have any other questions for me?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I feel like this is going to launch us back into something else. So let me think of a different. <laughs> let
1: me think no, of a different... that's okay. That's okay. We're doing great on
0: time. Okay, great. Okay. So what parts of deconstructing your faith have made you feel maybe the most comfortable and the least comfortable?
1: Mm. The most comfortable, I think, I think the most comfortable is, um, about the ability to ask questions, ask good questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't need anybody's permission to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I think just, just the freedom to, to express that and to wrestle with that. Now it's not like, I have conversations with the extended family over Thanksgiving dinner about, you know, the essentials of faith, but I just feel within myself permission to investigate and ask. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that makes me most uncomfortable is I worry that I'm leaving the church behind. I, I worry mm. that I'm leaving the church as an organization behind. And I really, truly believe in the potential of the church to be the vehicle that shares the gospel. I would not have stayed in it this long if I didn't believe yeah. that that was its potential. And going through this season, I've worried that I'm leaving it behind.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, and so there's a tension in that for you about yes. taking care of yourself in the midst of that, knowing kind of what your own limits are, and still having this value for
1: right the local church, right. mm-hmm. and
0: um and
1: finding ways to bring in things that are not typically talked about in church, like Ooh, Black yeah. Lives Matter, mm-hmm. like um, ethnic diversity, Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, I I just think there's a lot of, you know, let's talk about what's going on with immigration. Um, keep the politics out of it. We've got a lot of people that are suffering and I want to talk about those things
0: and I don't find audience for those yet. Oh man, they, we are out there. Yeah, these are the things that I I think a lot of people, oh, even over the last six years, may be the points where like deconstruction started, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm seeing a lot of discussion. Either this is the starting point, or this was the tipping point, right? So there are all these things that, again, we've kind of put on the back burner and said, nope that doesn't that doesn't belong in the church. We're not going to. That's that's mm-hmm. political. And now I think we're coming up to this <laughs> generation of like. Um uh millennials, Gen Z, Gen X, where we're all like, nope, we're done pushing this aside. We need well, to address it.
1: I think these generations are seeing the incongruency between the church and the lived out expression of Jesus Christ. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, definitely, yeah. I I think more people are craving that integration then right of like okay if this is supposed to be a full life gospel and this is what we've been t- taught I think this mm-hmm. is part of my story too of like okay like this is what I was taught about how who Jesus is and so I'm going to respond this way but my teachers are responding in a completely different way that seems <laughs> incongruent with what they taught me
1: right right mm-hmm. yeah well, I, I really hope somebody would figure it all out and make the roadmap.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be that one person who figures out what the definition of deconstruction is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it
1: would be it would be nice. But um well, Amanda, I just um I I feel like we should have a podcast just for this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay,
1: perfect. It's a, deal. I like it's a deal. I think we could talk about it forever, but I just appreciate you, uh, just being willing to talk and ask questions and answer questions. Um, and hopefully this is something that people who are, um, in this process will find as helpful and informative and yeah. reassuring that, um, they're not walking away from Jesus. They're just walking away from bad behavior and and yeah. um, bad systems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and figuring out how do we separate those two? That Jesus right. isn't those bad systems, but a lot of times he's been intertwined. And so, yeah. yeah, how do we, how do we separate those? Yes.
1: Again, you can find Amanda at heyamandawaldren.com I love your handle. That's great. <laughs> and, um, and so find her and uh, connect with her and see what she's up to. So thank you. I have appreciated your time. Yeah, it's been great, Joe. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith
0: Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast today. You can follow Jill on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, jillreilly.author, and on Twitter, jill Riley author. Email jill at jillreilly.org.